You're listening to Murder Not Murdering with Aaron and Autumn, a true crime podcast about murder and murdering. But we are not murderers. Welcome back, Autumn. It's been a minute. It's been quite a while this time. I know. We apologize for that. Life just got in the way. (laughs) It's Autumn's fault. So, you know. I mean, (laughs) thanks. (laughs) Just going to out you right away. (laughs) I was like, cool, cool, cool. She doesn't have my back at all. (laughs) No, not even a little. (laughs) Yeah, Um, life. Life just got in the way. Yep. Been busy getting stuff done. Um, But yeah, so I've definitely been missing this a little bit. Me too. It's definitely exciting to be back. Yes, for sure. I also am doing a more modern time me murder. And I am so excited to hear it. I know. I just always get worried that either a, we will both cover a a case that, you know, that you were planning on doing or something like that when I pick something more modern and B, I also worry that maybe, you know, it'll always be one that you know of. (laughs) I, I mean, I like listening to stories that I know over and over again. So that doesn't bother me. That's true. You will watch a rerun of Unsolved Mysteries like 500 times in your lifetime. Heck so. yes. And I'll <laughs> listen to different podcast episodes on a, a case that I know already. And I'll watch an ID channel documentary about, I mean, I just, I don't care. I like it all. Totally. Well, I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to be doing a murder uh, tonight, obviously. Duh. <laughs> thing. We're Welcome a little out of practice, folks. Murder, not murdering. Yeah. We'll be talking about murder. <laughs> what? Oh, I'm yeah. on the wrong podcast. I know. I know. Right. Oops. Hold on. I just pulled out my headphone thing. Oh, guys, it's a real, it's a real doozy now. <laughs> she did that on purpose. So she couldn't hear me. What did you say? You know, I edit this. So <laughs> I didn't actually say anything. I didn't take the opportunity. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. We'll find out, won't we? My innermost (laughs) secrets just told to all these people on our podcast. Dude, that was not enough time. (laughs) I need need more time than that to tell all of your innermost secrets. Sure. (laughs) Um, Okay, so I'm going to jump into this. And before we got started, I said to Autumn, oh my gosh, I I need to come up with a title for this. I want a name for it that doesn't just give it away. And And there is a Jeopardy reference. And so I was like, I'll take murder for 500, Alex. And then I had all these other (laughs) stupid ideas. So I'm just going to tell you about the murder of Linda Kincaid. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll also take murder for 500. Uh, Okay, let's do it. I'll go for a thousand. Yeah, it's the daily double. Yes. I have so many things. It's like, just <laughs> say your name. Come on, stop being a dumb. Okay. So, are you ready? 
I am ready. All right, here we go. Linda Kincaid had beauty and brains. She was meticulous about her style. Though she had so much going on for her, she never felt loved. Her mother always treated Linda differently and doted on her older sister, Pat. Sad. That is sad. I know. Her older sister was an Olympic hopeful figure skater. And as Linda's close friend, Mary Siebold said, Pat got the cake and Linda got the crumbs. This lack of love sets Linda up for always trying to find that love through men. She married twice and in between marriages, she also had a lot of long-term relationships with other men. Always wanting to find a long-term relationship, Linda was approaching her 40s and she finds herself alone. It's March 1989 when a new scientist starts working at the nuclear power plant where she works, a man named Paul Curry. Linda can't take her eyes off of him. He was very smart and well-loved by all who met him. He played the piano and seemed to know a little bit about everything. In fact, he had just won $60,000 on the show Jeopardy. O-M-G. There it is. There's my Jeopardy. That's the one thing in the whole thing. That's the I mean, $60,000 is a pretty substantial amount back in the 80s. Sure. But I mean, it's also like the only thing in this thing that root that's about Jeopardy and it doesn't <laughs> even involve her. So, <laughs> but I just wanted to say Jeopardy thing. That, anyway, that's the connection. There it is. For the first time in Linda's life, she felt really loved and Paul was extremely doting on her. She loved to be taken care of. Friends thought that Linda and Paul were the perfect couple. And they loved seeing her happy with a man 13 years her junior who just gushed over her. They married September 12th, 1992 in Las Vegas, Nevada. They spent a lot of time together, whether at work or cooking at home. Paul loved concocting his own salad dressings and preparing meals for his new wife. Sometimes he used all the ingredients from their backyard garden, which he maintained. It wasn't too long after the marriage began when Mary, Linda's good friend, became concerned when she received a phone call from her that was worrisome. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Linda said, Paul's getting real, real intent on every, getting everything put into his name. The mortgage, the life insurance, 401k. Let me ask you something, Mayor. He wants to put a million-dollar life insurance policy on me. Red flag. Mary replied, okay, but you're getting one on him as well? Linda said no, and that Paul thought that it was a good idea for her to get the life insurance because she was older. <laughs> rude. That is so rude. Right? Eager to please her new husband, Linda obliged. These were red flags. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, if I just got married and Josh was like, so let's uh, let, let's get an insurance policy out for you. I was like, wait, what? I'd be like, mm, I'm sorry. What? Also, murdered. <laughs> yes. Also, why not on you? 
<laughs> exactly. Well, she asked him that and he was like, well, you're older. She's 13 years older than him. So he's like, well, you're older than me. So, and I'm young and healthy. I don't really need it. And then I would have said men die before women. So I would have outlived you anyway. So let's go with the policy. Seriously. <laughs> also, he took care of all of the bills and she didn't know what he was doing with the money. But again, she really liked being taken care of and enjoyed relinquishing this to Paul. Another red flag went up when on one occasion, Linda answered the phone and there was a woman asking where her check was and if she could talk to Paul. The unknown woman was wondering when his child support would arrive. Excuse me? You see, Paul always liked to answer the phone. And this was a rare occasion that Linda even picked up. She was shocked. A child belonging to Paul was news to Linda. And so were his other two previous marriages. Stop. Yes. What? The hell? Mm -hmm. When confronted, Paul confessed his history to Linda and excessively apologized. I bet, Paul. I bet. Mm -hmm. To show how sorry he was, he booked them a three-day cruise. What was supposed to be a romantic getaway turned into an oceanic nightmare when passengers got sick with hantavirus which is spread through rodents and it can cause fatigue, fever, muscle aches, then headaches, dizziness, diarrhea, and abdominal pain. Ew. Linda was the first to get sick. Then Paul. After a few days, Linda's condition worsened and she required hospitalization for the last several weeks. Jesus. When Mary arrived at the hospital, Paul told her to prepare herself for what she was about to see. And I wasn't prepared at all. And that's when I knew I could lose my friend tonight. She said. <gasps> okay. That like is already breaking my heart. Nothing alarming came up in Linda's blood work and doctors couldn't understand what was killing her. They wondered if it maybe it was a psych psychiatric disorder, perhaps Munchausen syndrome where a person intentionally makes themselves sick to receive treatment and attention. Another theory was radiation poisoning as she worked at a nuclear power plant. But then Linda's symptoms disappeared before the doctors could diagnose her. So crazy. And very mysterious mm -hmm. and kind of alarming. Although 25 pounds lighter and still weak, she finally returned home. The illness even seemed to bring the couple closer together. Paul was affectionate, drawing Linda bubble baths and being at her beck and call. Over time, she regained some of her health back. One of Linda's lifelong friends, Frankie Thurber, moved in with the couple. One day, Linda asked her for a reality check. I'm wondering if Paul really loves me. Frankie said that she's always wanted to be an FBI agent and jumped at the chance to watch Paul like a hawk. Um, <laughs> that sounds like us. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you'd like that part. Yes. <laughs> but he seemed to be a really doting husband. And she told her that from everything she sees, he does really love her. Linda started to regain her strength and they started to, they 
and they both really enjoyed entertaining. So they had a party. One night after a few drinks, Paul had quite a bit to say. Their friend Betty Reeder said, we were having cocktails and somehow the subject turned to poison. And he made the statement that he could go out in his garage and make something up and give it to somebody and he'd never be detected. Who is this guy? This was quite a strange statement to make. But again, he was such a doting husband. Everybody just moved on with the conversation. Mm -mm. I would not have moved on. Uh, No, it was all going very well until New Year's Eve 1993, when Linda became violently ill once again. Recognizing the mysterious sickness was returning, she admitted herself to the hospital immediately. After one visit to see Linda, Mary and her husband stayed with Paul at his house because they didn't want to drive all the way home. While there, Mary found papers about Linda's financials and life insurance on the dresser. All of them seemed to relate in one way or another to death. Mary wrote all of this down and documented everything. That's when I realized this man was trying to do something to my friend, said Mary. And also just a quick shout out to Mary for being fucking awesome and putting her detective hat on and writing everything down. You know, it's not like they had camera phones or anything then. Yeah. Smart to do that just in case. Yeah. Documenting things. And I mean, she hadn't even talked to Linda at this point. She just, she just went to her house while she was visiting her in the hospital. Yeah. Mm. That's a good friend. The plot is going to thicken autumn. (laughs) Mary's, Mary's suspicions grew when several days later, a nurse at the hospital discovered that Linda's IV bag had been tampered with. The nurse found a needle puncture in the tubing. Luckily, they caught it early. Hospital, yeah, hell, dude. Hospital security called authorities, and detectives from the Orange County Sheriff's Office interviewed Linda at her hospital bed. Investigators recorded the interview and asked who might want to poison her. And it's chilling when you listen to the recording. Well, the only person I can think of that would have motive to do it would be Paul, Linda answered. I just don't want to believe and think that he would do that. He seems like a very good husband. Okay, that's so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Before the investigation could gain traction, Linda was released from the hospital. Friends, however tried warning her that they suspected Paul was behind the mysterious sickness. It was now 15 months into her marriage and Linda was still suffering from bouts of diarrhea, vomiting, and severe dehydration. Linda's friend, Mary, talked over her suspicions with Linda and Linda just did not want to believe it. Sadly, they stopped talking at that point. No. A lifelong friend. And she made a point to tell her, you know, I, I made vows to Paul. So sorry. And just walked away from the friendship. That is just so shitty and sad, really sad. It's not going to get any better. (laughs) Oh my God. On June 9th, 
1994, Paul wrote Mary and asked for help. He said Linda was wobbly and incoherent. The next day, she was dead. Linda was 49 years old. Friends and family remained divided over the possibility that Paul had poisoned his wife and that there was never any proof that she was poisoned at all. Paul acted distraught at the funeral. Linda's sister requested to see her in the casket, but Paul said no because he was Jewish and it wasn't his tradition. Her sister, needing to have, find closure, managed to get the casket open. What they saw was upsetting. The meticulously stylish beauty was in mismatched clothes that she never would have worn. Her hair wasn't done and she looked nothing like herself. Her sister was so upset she had to leave the funeral and got physically ill. That is just, uh, my heart is just, I just can't even process that. But if he loved and cared about her so much, why would he have her buried in something she never would have worn? You know? 100%. And because he was Jewish, did she, I don't think she ever converted to Judaism. No, she did not. So he wouldn't be, it wouldn't matter. No. And her sister was like, I have to see her to say goodbye. It was a whole Yes. Anyway, Paul was able to collect on the life insurance policy and Linda's 401k. The case then went cold until 2002 when Sergeant Yvonne Scholl got a hold of Linda's file and the taped interviews. Scholl heard of the tapes and heard of Linda saying that Paul had motive. It was like her talking from the grave to me, said Scholl, that it's Paul who murdered her. Scholl dug into Paul's past and discovered that he had worked at nuclear plants around the country, but didn't have any degrees. She also spoke to Paul's two previous wives, and the second wife said she also thought she had been poisoned by Paul. I had no energy, very dizzy. I was... It was really hard for me to get out of bed, said Paul's second wife, Leslie. I saw so many doctors took many pills and no one could really diagnose it correctly. She was sick for over a year and Paul asked her to get life insurance. Ultimately, what? she was rejected and soon after he left her for Linda. Oh my. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Detective Scholl explained that one of the more common reasons to be rejected for life insurance is because people will lie and say they're non-smokers, but tests come back positive for nicotine. Then she referred back to Linda's post-mortem toxicology report. Scholl found that she also tested positive for nicotine. But here's one thing. Linda did not smoke. In fact, no one in her household did. And they were known not to let people smoke in their home and were like notorious non-smokers. That's suspicious. Very. The autopsy also showed a small mark behind her ear, but it wasn't enough to prove that it was a needle puncture at the time the autopsy was performed. In 1994, toxicology analysis wasn't as good or as sophisticated as it was in 2002. Scholl found that Linda's system contained 50 to 100 times more nicotine than that of a regular smoker. What? Authorities were able to confirm Linda died of nicotine poisoning. 
Wow, that's really unique. Isn't it though? Authorities theorized that Paul put tobacco in Linda's salad dressing over long periods of time. Toxicology reports also showed that Linda had a toxic amount of Ambien in her system, which is a sleeping drug in case you don't know. They believed Paul drugged her before injecting her with the fatal dose of nicotine behind her ear. So she was pretty much asleep when he punctured her ear behind her ear and injected her with a fatal dose of nicotine. Paul had since moved from California to Kansas. And now I really love this part because Detective Scholl posed as a local officer to let Paul think that he had the upper hand. And she didn't want him to know that she was from California. So she talked to local police and had them set up an interview with him to go over some of the details. So he got brought in and she used the name Marie, which is her middle name, to try to make seem like he wouldn't recognize her name or recognize that she, she was from California at all. She just was sitting in there with another detective. And then the detective got up and left and it was just her and him. So in the Kansas interview, Shoal had Paul confirm he was alone in the home when Linda passed away. Paul putting himself by Linda's bedside made him the only plausible suspect. And was it was enough to place him under arrest. And you should watch the interview because it's a nail biter. She reveals she's a detective from California and tells him she believes he killed his wife and he was under arrest and puts and tells him to put his hands behind his back. It's glorious. I'm not even kidding. I was so like, oh, yes, get him, girl. Oh, mm, uh. <laughs> it was so good. No, seriously, if you can watch the interview, because it's it's a good one. Now, back to the case on September 11th. 2014, nearly 20 years after he killed his wife, Paul stood trial for Linda's murder. The charges against him were insurance fraud and murder in the first degree with special circumstances. On September 30th, 2014, a jury, after deliberating for a day, found Paul Curry guilty on all charges, and he received the maximum sentence of life in prison without parole. Good. Well, and it took 20 years for him to get his conviction. Just that's FYI. way too long. Way too long. Um, Linda wanted to be loved. Assistant District Attorney, Assistant District Attorney Ibrahim Badia said she just wanted to be treated like a princess. And he did exactly that. He told her what she wanted to hear. But that was the biggest mistake she made. And unfortunately, she paid for it with her own life. My sources were the show Charm to Death, Crime Online, and ABC News. I just, that's so sad. I know. I know. It's a really sad one, but I feel like I haven't heard many cases of nicotine poisoning. No. And I found that to be fascinating. Yeah, it's very, that's very unique. And that this guy came in and he you know, wined and dined her. But then when they started looking more into his past, you start to find he had other wives, other wives that had been sick in the same way over life insurance. Yes. Over life insurance. He had children. 
Yeah. So many things that were so off the wall and out of character. And it's just, and, and the thing is he was so good at what he did that no one, people found it extraordinarily hard to say that, yeah, he, he definitely did this. Like even after the fact, they were like shocked beyond belief because they seemed like the perfect couple, like happy as could be. And she, and Linda was happy. She just was very, very, very ill as well. Yes. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's heartbreaking too, because Linda was so someone so full of life and beautiful and not that there's, you know, you can be beautiful in so many other things, but she was beautiful (laughs) and she was smart and she, she just, it's just so sad to me that she was always seeking that love and finally felt like she got it. And then it turned out that he basically just murdered her for money. Mm-hmm. It's gross. That's disgusting. Yeah. But again, I've never heard of nicotine poisoning. And if you get a chance, do watch the interviews because, you know, in my old timey cases, I don't get a lot of chances to see actual interview and video mm-hmm. of any of this. So it was actually kind of exciting for me. Um, I'm going to do another modern one next, and then I'll get back to some old timeies. Um, if you do have any ideas or something that you come across that is an older crime, uh, please send us a message at info at murder, not murdering.com or DM us on Instagram, because we always love finding something new, something unique, something that maybe people hadn't heard of before uh-huh. or us. Or us. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's always fun. I always love when people have one. They're like, oh, my brother's uncle was murdered. Let me tell you about it. You know, I I love that because um, that's something you wouldn't necessarily have found or heard of. Like the first one that I covered, which is was Josh's great grandpa, you know, which is so that was so cool. I know the amount of research, though. That was a lot. I know. (laughs) But it was, it was really great to kind of uncover that, um, and find closure for his family too. So, uh, anyway, that was my story of the murder of Linda Kincaid. Uh, up next, we will have one from autumn, but first we'll hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back. And we are back. And Aaron kind of sprung it on me that I was bringing us back and I kind of panicked cause I'm a little awkward. So I hope that wasn't too weird. <laughs> No, there wasn't a real weird, awkward pause. So it was fine. <laughs> Great. I just thought we'd come back and you'd be like, hi. <laughs> so so um, this is what I'm doing now. I guess we'll just do some murder talks. Yes. <laughs> then forget all the words and all my story. No, I got this. I'm a professional. I am a professional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just keep talking where, about that. Where would I would call recording artists? Oh God. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. We're professional recording artists. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Don't, don't yeah. edit this out. Cause this is our truth. <laughs> as long as we speak our truth, Autumn, <laughs> everything will be okay. Oh no. <laughs> I don't know how well this story is going to go over. It's very disturbing. <laughs> Yes. You have texted me this several times. I know. My it's just, story is really disturbing. Just so you know, my story is really, it is. Disturbing. 
Uh, I had it was never heard of this fight. It was really tough. <laughs> it's going to be a really, really tough one. I was yes. like, looking forward to it. It's <laughs> I'd never heard of this story. It actually didn't get very me- much media coverage, which when I tell it to you, it's going to blow your mind because once I like started reading about it and watching like the YouTube videos on it, I was like, how did nobody talk about this? Okay. I want to know. Let's jump in. Cause I'm like <laughs> sitting here chomping at the bit. Okay. Mine doesn't have a funny title. It's just his name. Great. Thanks, Autumn. You're welcome. (laughs) I know. So uncreative. (laughs) Okay. This is the case of Randy Stare. I'm going to start off saying this. There's a disclaimer. There's a disclaimer, but it's not a trigger warning. Okay. (laughs) I just had to say it because I saw some conflicting information and I don't want to be disrespectful. Sure. This is a sensitive story about a deeply disturbed human. And there's a lot of conflicting information as they referred to themselves as not transgender, but said they were a female trapped in a man's body, but did not feel that the term transgender applied to them. I want to be as respectful as possible to the transgender community, but also narrate the story as close to how they portrayed themselves publicly and to their family and friends. I will be referring to Randy as him. He, as that is how he referred to himself on all social media videos that I have seen. So it's not me not respecting that he wanted to be called a she. You're not gendering them. Correct. They, they refer to themselves as he, him. And so I will refer to him as that. Okay. Randy Robert Stare was born on September 17th, 1992 in Dallas, Pennsylvania born to Robert and Lori Ann Stare. He was the oldest of two boys. Growing up, Randy was quiet and shy. He hated being the center of attention and would rather be alone. Despite being a loner and never going on a single date, it seemed he had a very normal childhood. He was a YouTuber with a following who knew him by the name of Andrew Blaze. His channel, Pioneers Productions, started in June 2008 and featured short sketches and collaborations with other content creators. In the beginning, it was mostly comedy sketches starring the then 15-year-old and two other made-up characters, Froggy and Whale. Randy had found Froggy, which was a stuffed animal, in a shopping cart at Weiss supermarket smelling of cigarettes and being extremely dirty. He took it home to clean it. (laughs) I mean, I I mean, that's not my first choice, but (laughs) but, you know, I mean, he was 15. Yeah. He's going to find something. It's fine. As long as he cleaned it, then. Yeah. I mean, he was a little quirky, picked it up, brought it home and eventually started doing skits with it. Whale was a perverted predator who who hit on Randy and skits, also a stuffed animal. So he voiced this perverted predator that that hit on him. And this Uh like really strange, deep voice. I mean, the whole thing is kind of strange. Yeah. 
This content featuring Randy, Froggy, and Whale lasted for a couple of years. He grew a small following of about 9,000, and eventually the channel was monetized in 2011 when he became a paid YouTube partner, which was a big goal for Randy. Wow. I have watched a few of these videos, and Mm -hmm. I didn't really find any of them comedic, but to each their own. Sure. I also like for me, I think of someone who's voicing things like that through puppetry. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes me think that there's some trauma that they're working through. Right. And that would be, it would my- make me, it would make me extraordinarily uncomfortable though. Yes, it wasn't. It's not pleasant to watch. Honestly, <laughs> Randy was obsessed with the Columbine high school massacre oh, God. and specifically Eric David Harris who was one of the two shooters in some of his journals, he has noted that they were his heroes and wished that he could have met them in person. Hmm. He, he, I don't even, like that. No, he even went as far as having shirts made that said natural selection on them, which is the same shirt that Eric David Harris wore during the Columbine massacre. I don't like that. I feel like Columbine, especially for like people of our generation, specifically, yes. <laughs> was such a huge moment in time. Right. You know? And I, I mean, we actually, you and I, fun fact, met at during a bomb threat in the years after Columbine mm-hmm. when schools were on we were high being, alert. We were being evacuated. Yes. For an, is, an actual bomb threat. An actual bomb threat. That is how Aaron and I became friends. It's a true story. <laughs> Which and is I mean, so that, bizarre. And we had like several that year too. Yes, so, I mean, it was a I lot. Feel like, I feel like that immediately is a little triggering for me, just like yeah. even hearing it because it was such a big deal at the time. Yes. And it still is. Think, like, Absolutely. That yeah. was just such a horrific event. And for really somebody did. to be obsessed with that and to call them heroes mm-hmm. is extremely disturbing. Yeah, I agree. Extremely disturbing. I agree. In 2010, at the age of 18, Randy started his first job at McDonald's, but hated it so much that he quit within three hours. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yes. This really upset his parents. They expected Randy to be able to contribute to the household now that he was an adult. Sure. Randy, though, really just wanted to make money from his YouTube channel and didn't have any desire to actually work a job. Mm-hmm. But Which, was Randy making money from the YouTube channel? I mean, I heard it, it was monetized. It that doesn't mean you're making money. Yeah. I don't know how much money he made or how the payments work for that, but that was his ultimate goal. Was that to be his actual job? Sure. Which I feel is a common goal of a lot of people in general in the era yeah, especially of technology recently. and influencers that we live in, et cetera. But yeah. that he didn't like the idea of money and working to obtain it. He yeah. expressed that resentment towards his father in a lot of videos. Oh, wow. Okay. Nevertheless, Randy's dad got him a job at Weiss supermarket in Eaton township, Pennsylvania, where he was a supermarket manager. And that's where he found the froggy, right? Yeah. That's where he found that's oh, where he found froggy me. full circle, right? Now he works there. His 
he was probably there. I mean, that was a supermarket, but his dad was a supermarket manager as well. Oh, okay. So that's how he got a job there. Yeah. But he found that frog like years and years and years ago. Sure. In 2011, Randy graduated high school and went on to community college, but he never was into school. And that was far from his primary focus. He was still very much all about his YouTube channel and creating content for his channel. He spent three years at the community college and in 2014, he stopped attending. It was around this time that Randy began his obsession of this Nickelodeon cartoon called Danny Phantom. I don't know that one. I'm not a huge cartoon watcher and I have never seen this show. So I looked up a little quick description of it from Wikipedia and this is what it says. Okay. (laughs) The series follows Danny Fenton, a teenage boy who after an accident with an unpredictable portal between the human world and the ghost zone becomes a human ghost hybrid and takes on the task of saving his town and the world from subsequent ghost attacks using an evolving variety of supernatural powers. Danny is aided in his quest by his two best friends, Sam Manson and Tucker Foley, and later his older sister, Jazz, who for most of the series run are among the only people who know of his double life. So it's kind of this, it had like a cult following. It's kind Mm -hmm. of this ghost situation, the can of paranormal something or other. Yeah. And the characters are very like edgy and emo looking. And it just was something (laughs) right up his alley. (laughs) You made me love with edgy and emo looking. They were, that's exactly what they look like. If you could picture like, no, the emo hairstyle. Like, sure. That's basically what they looked like. Sure. Anyway, <laughs> Randy was specifically obsessed with one of the characters named Ember McLean. She was only on a few episodes, but this was all it took for Randy. Randy also claimed that Ember, even though she was a fictional cartoon character, she was his first crush. Okay. On the cartoon, she was a power-hungry musician ghost who hates authority, who thirsts for attention, and has a seductive, sarcastic personality. Okay. Yes, and this is this is his first crush. Sure. He referred to Ember as his queen. He mentions in a few of his videos that he knew Ember before he was even born, that they existed together in another realm, and we're spiritually connected. Um, yes. Okay. With this cartoon character. That someone else wrote. Sure. Yes. Sure, that sure, someone sure. else wrote. Yeah. He talks about how Ember helped him and comforted him through some personal tragedies. In January of 2013, one of his close friends was killed in a car accident. And shortly after his grandfather passed away. That's a lot of trauma. And it's a lot. Exactly. And then Randy himself was also in a car accident, but did not suffer any major injuries. That's still going to be very triggering and traumatic. Exactly. So after these tragedies, Randy began to have an obsession for the afterlife. Mm -hmm. Randy created his own alternate universe, Ember's Ghost Squad or EGS for short. It was a fandom universe. 
based off of the Danny Phantom series. There were still ghosts. However, they sought after and recruited suicidal people to join them in the afterlife. I know this is freaky and very disturbing. So wait, were they, was that, were they actually seeking out those people? No. So this is just part of the, the, uh, universe that he created. Yeah. He created an, he created and animated this alternate universe himself. Okay. So he was drawing these, these characters, animating them. And this was the storyline. So this wasn't, this wasn't real life in any way, shape or form. This was, I just didn't know if it was like another thing that he put on YouTube. Yeah, no, it is. on But (laughs) you know what I mean? Like trying to get people that were as he described, you know? No. Yeah. They, he wasn't targeting anyone through YouTube. He was just creating this alternate fandom based off of the series that he was obsessed with. I mean, that's probably the healthiest thing that he could do with his energy at that point. Maybe I don't kind of kind of, (laughs) I mean, yeah, I don't. Yes. He drifted away from pioneers productions on his YouTube channel and began to solely focus all his attention on EGS. Mm -hmm. He made a five part series on the channel, killing off froggy and whale. Oh, yeah, wow. he viciously stabbed them with a knife. What? Yeah, and I have seen clips of this, and it is just freaking weird, to be honest. And In- then at the very end, he burns them, and it's supposed to be like symbolizing uh, the end of his the last- end of it. And then he he also um, talks to Ember, the the ghost girl in the series and he thanks her because she's the one that wanted him to do it. And then, then he kills himself, but not in real life. He kills himself on the YouTube channel. So like simulates that, like, I, I can't find a clip of it. I just can, I just read what they said. I don't know if he shows himself like doing that, but it implies it. Yes. Or just implies it. But like, he does show the stabbing of the, the stuffed animals. Yeah. which was weird and disturbing, very disturbing and freaky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was into that, that era of froggy and whale and himself on the YouTubes. Yeah. Um, until it, but he was still on YouTube. It just wasn't about those things sure. with his new thing. <laughs> yes. He creates nine Twitter accounts based on his characters and interacts with himself, tweeting between the accounts and role-playing via the tweet interesting very very interesting randy believed that once he dies he would cross over into the afterlife as a ghost girl and be able to join ember and the ghost squad so now he's starting to think he's starting to believe his yes his fictional reality exactly got it journals videos on his YouTube channel documented his downward descent into extreme mental illness and dark suicidal thoughts. That's really sad. It's very sad. He talks about his gender identity and how he feels like he was born a woman trapped inside a man's body. Ember appeals so much to him because he believes that once he dies, he will come back as a ghost girl, just like Ember. So more like he feels like he is like basically the ghost girl inside waiting to get the body. Exactly. So it feels like once, once he passes over, he'll be just like this character that he's idolizing. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that he believes that anyone that dies then becomes a ghost squad. Okay. In one video, it shows him flipping a coin. Best out of three wins. Heads, he commits suicide at home. And tails, he commits homicide and then suicide. It lands on tails. Oh, God. On June 7th, 2017, Randy, 24 years old, arrived for his shift at Weiss Supermarket around 11 p.m., where he has been employed for seven years at this point. He had made up his mind that that coin toss and it was set to put his plan into action. Okay. Randy went into the store and straight to the back area where the crew area was and blocked the emergency exit with some wood pallets. He then went about his shift, cleaning up from the previous day and stocking shelves. At 12.10 a.m. on June 8th, he sent out the links to multiple files and videos detailing his plans on his Twitter account. These files were named journal, suicide tapes, and digital set. Randy then went about the store, blocking the emergency exits and locking the automatic doors at the front main entrance to the store. That is so scary. He proceeded to pull out two pistol grip pump action shotguns that he had concealed in a duffel bag. The same type of guns used in the Columbine shooting. Mm -hmm. He walked around the store and shot and killed three of his coworkers, 26-year-old assistant tag manager, Victoria Brong, 47-year-old Navy veteran, Brian Hayes, and 63-year-old Terry Lee Sterling. Kristen Newell was listening to music in her headphones while her coworkers were killed and did not realize what was going on. On CCTV footage, it shows Randy walking up behind Kristen while she was stocking shelves and labeling items near the back of the store. It shows him standing behind her for about five seconds with the gun pointed to her head. Oh my God. She goes to the next aisle to continue working. Randy then begins to fire the guns at glass doors and merchandise in the store. He also shot multiple gas propane tanks. He was hoping they would cause a huge explosion, but they failed to explode. Okay. Around this time, Kristen took off her headphones and could hear the gunshots. Terrified, she ran into the break room and called 911. Randy stopped shooting walked to the deli section, placed the shotgun in his mouth and committed suicide. Oh my God. 59 total shots were fired from just one single gun. He had brought the second gun as backup. And I quote him just in case the first one breaks down on me or jams. And I have no way of fixing it. Dude. That's because he wanted to make sure that he could finish himself at the end of it. Exactly. It's just awful. Really horrific. Yeah. The shooting did not receive much attention outside of Luke, outside of local news outlets. I actually had never heard of this case before. And Dustin I, was, I have heard this one. Oh, you have. 
Yeah. I, I haven't seen about, I or either saw something or I read it. Yeah. Dustin was watching one of his YouTube channels and came across it. And of course shared it with me because he thought I would be interested and could talk about it on the podcast. I mean, how many times do people run up to us to tell us about murders? I love Yes. It. And I, I had never even heard of this. It was not on my radar. I had never heard of this one. Yeah. One month later on July 13th, 2017, Weiss supermarket reopened to the public. The interior had been gutted and remodeled with a new floor layout, but not everyone in town was happy about this. They questioned why they did not relocate the store. And I can totally understand that. I but can understand that. That would be kind of like traumatic, traumatic yeah. and all of that. But at the same time, there is something to not letting someone create a new mm-hmm. memory somewhere. Exactly. You know. Yes. This story seems even more tragic to me as it could have been completely prevented. If people watching his YouTube channel had taken his threats and comments seriously, he documented the entire descent into his dark thoughts and sinister plans. Mm-hmm. Hindsight is 2020, but watching his videos, I'm really not sure how any of his fans did not see the red flags. They were literally everywhere. He, and I, I'm not even joking was like telling people verbatim, I am going to kill someone. People are going to die. And he gave dates and he, and he flipped the freaking coin on the video about killing people and then killing himself. Do you know at that point, how much, how many followers he had at that Yeah, time. he he was pretty popular and there was quite a few people that were following him and there were quite a few people that were pretty big in the YouTube community that saw these videos. That is just crazy to me. It could have been honestly like you see something weird, you say something. Like I don't care if it turns out to be nothing. I would rather it be nothing and you cause a big deal than to have something so tragic happen. I mean, it was the same thing as like, again, like when I was talking about the Columbine days, like, you know, and of course we've had way more tragedy with shootings and mass shootings and all of that since those days. Right. And it's just like, if you feel that someone needs help, there's nothing wrong with trying to seek finding someone help or reaching out to them and asking if they need help. You know, because sometimes people just need someone to just say that and that will help trigger them into going and getting therapy or, you know, finding professional help for something like that. And do not yes. try to help somebody that no. has been suffering from mental illness yourself because that you're not a doctor. You didn't go to school for it. You can support your friends. Yes. there for them 100%. But make sure that you encourage them to seek professional help. And I, this story was really disturbing to me. And I mean, we do murder all the time and we see a lot of disturbing things, but this story was like, I told you was really hard for me to write because it was just so dark. And so I just felt like I felt for him. Yeah. And I mean, I felt for him because obviously he was mentally ill. There's yeah, he was suffering. He was suffering, but I mean, at the same time, he took these innocent people's lives and it's just like now now it's even more tragic it is it's horribly tragic for so many different 
people, you know, mm-hmm. his family, his friends, you know, I'm sure his followers, because yeah. a lot of times there can be things that are said and done in, you know, cosplay situations or in, um, you know, fan fiction and things mm-hmm. like that, or even just writing in general that are, you can write disturbing things, but you don't act them out, you know, like sometimes mm-hmm. that's just an outlet to get things out. Right. Um, so I like you understand. and I love like murder mystery and unsolved crimes, yeah. but we would never, we write stories about murder. That. We write stories about murder every week. Right. You know? And so, but that's not on our agenda. <laughs> sure, absolutely. That's not. like not what we're ever, we, ever literally vital. Yeah. Yes. But I mean, I, that's just, it is really sad. Oh, this is such a sad one for me. Like, yeah, it was really hard to write. I won't lie. Like sure. I just kept, there were some things I just had to leave out. Cause it was just so tragic. I'm, I just couldn't bring myself to even watch the videos. Yeah. Especially knowing what was going to happen. Yes. Um, but my you, sources, I was just about to say, forget <laughs> your sources. No, my sources were YouTube coffee house and crime YouTube explore with us. YouTube in general, because I had to watch a bunch of his videos sure. and Wikipedia and the podcast Sword and Scale. Dang, Autumn, that's just left me in with a full on morose feeling. I know I <laughs> yours was kind of like, I mean, yours was sad. Obviously, it's murder, yeah, but, but you still thought him in the end. You know, I feel like that's the thing that's so frustrating to me about anyone that does the suicide at the end is that there's just there's no justice and in it, not that there ever is real justice, but there's right. no justice. And it's just sort of like a thoughtless act that happened. He took innocent people that didn't just happen to be at work. Yes. It's just, it's so fucked up. And a lot of speculation, and this is just speculation is that he let Kristen live because the Columbine shooters let one person live. Oh, I mean, with the level of his obsession, that could be. It was definitely a possibility. There's no evidence. He didn't mention it in any of his journals, but yeah, I mean, just thinking about that is probably true. Yeah. I mean, very well could be. I really hated that one, Autumn. (laughs) I know. I, I didn't really care for it either. It was just, I couldn't believe there wasn't that much media attention for it. Yeah. And, and again, like we always say on this podcast, one of the things that we do is we find that it's important to make sure to say the names of victims and that people don't forget this. And it is another reminder for people to, you know, check on your friends and check on mental health and therapy fucking works. Yes. And, you know, there's no, there's never any, shame in seeking help. And yeah. you should would hundred percent do that. If, if you're feeling unstable in any way, shape or form, or just having a really hard time, there's so many ways to do it now. And especially with being able to find therapists online, you can do them via zoom. You can do them literally anywhere at this point. And you know? there's this like stigma about therapy. And I just wish it would go away because therapy works. Yeah. I feel like it really is starting to go away. The stigma, there's so many people out there talking about their experience with therapy and how therapies help them. I am someone who has done copious amounts of therapy and it has helped me 
immensely. I mean, it really has, like it truthfully has, like I can attest to it. It's really helped, you know, me to find balance in my life. And that's, it's, uh, you know, it's worth it. So, uh, encourage people, encourage your friends or someone that, you know, that might be struggling and let them know, you know, it's okay. And just do, do not, it's great to give friends advice and talk to them, but when it's something where someone needs to seek professional help, there's nothing wrong with that. And right. Please, please, please encourage them to find yes, professional yes. help. And if it's something that you feel like they could be a danger to themselves or someone else, again, say something, say something, call 911, do what you have to do to keep someone safe or others mm-hmm. safe. There's Agreed. nothing wrong with that. Not at all. Anyway, if, if anything, I hope a lesson is learned from this. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was another, uh, episode down the next episode will be the 20th, I think. Right. Yeah. So we'll have two new stories for you. Um, we maybe do something on, um, Instagram. Maybe we'll do something special. Yeah. Keep an eye out for that. And we just really appreciate everyone and their patience. So I know I've been getting a lot of messages like, where's the podcast? Where's the podcast? I know I have to, and it makes it, it makes us feel good that you like listening to us. Absolutely. And we, we really do try to get as many done, but we're going to have another one this week. Um, mm-hmm. that'll come out and it will be, uh, towards the end of the week, but you will be getting another episode sooner than later. So that's, yes. you're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. I couldn't even say it with a straight face. (laughs) All right. Well, we will see you next week and stay safe and take care and send us lock your doors, lock your doors, send (laughs) us lots of murders and carry a birdie. Also, we are not sponsored by birdie, but I want to be. Yes. We would love that birdie, birdie, birdie. Yeah. Anybody that is feeling uncomfortable walking to your car at night or in the daytime, wherever. Yeah. Like anytime really. Or like me, when you accidentally pull it out of your person target and scare the shit out of everybody, everyone's staring at you, except the security guard didn't even move. (laughs) It is a personal alarm for those that don't know. It is a small personal alarm that just goes on your keychain. It also has a light that flashes on it. That's a bright led to blind an attacker. It's great. It's small and compact and you don't even know the alarm is so loud. I can, Super duper to loud. It. I couldn't get the little pin back in. Cause I was so embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. So bad. So definitely look into that. If you are someone that just, you know, wants something a little extra while you're walking around, it's, it may, gives me a, you know, bit of peace of mind. Yes. So anywho, that's this week's, we will see you next week with more murder. But not always. <laughs> yeah, but not murdering. Well, they'll be murdering, but we won't be. Yes, so we won't I be. I had doing to clarify it. that. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.